0: Be it known that Stephen Michael Massey has manifested Christian character and committed and and, and committed to Christian service, and he has completed the studies fulfill and fulfilled requirements for the Bachelors of Arts in Christian Ministry with all the rights and responsibilities, and testimony whereof, the Board of Trustees, upon recommendation of the faculty, has granted this diploma bearing the seal of the college given at Joplin, Missouri, this 18th day of May, 2013. Five years of Bible college, just to spell premillennial dispensationalism, <laughs> it was worth every penny. My name is Stephen Michael Massey. I am a former youth sponsor here at uh, Griffith First Christian, currently serving at Center Point Christian Church, and I love it down there. The people are good. The food is fantastic, and that's partially why I stayed. Um, I graduated with a Bachelor's of, bachelor's of Arts. In Christian ministry, I have committed four years, maybe five, to Centerpoint. After that, if if the Lord wills, I would uh, continue on my education uh, in Massachusetts at Gordon-Conwell University to to pursue a Master's of Arts with an emphasis in Christian education. Um, What else to say? I'm still single. I still read comics. And uh, I don't know. I've grown, not just spiritually, but... uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good five years. I can't complain. Well, over the last four weeks, you have learned four very important words pertaining to salvation. First, you learned about grace. That was a gift that was given that was neither deserved nor earned, but given freely by God. And next was sacrifice, an act of selflessness from Christ because God chose to love us. Then came justification, which says that God sees me just as if I had never sinned. And the last word that we learned was sanctification, which we learned is a lifelong process of God making us holy. Sound about right? Good. Now, my sermon this morning is intended to piggyback right off of that, that sermon series. You've just spent four weeks hearing about salvation and, and and the saving grace that is offered through Christ Jesus, our Savior. And it is my prayer that if you have not made that commitment, then today would be that day. Today would be the day that you would give your life to Jesus and make Him your Savior. But now, if I may, I would like to present another aspect of, of the Christian walk that, that honestly... The church kind of glosses over sometimes it, it, maybe it's because we don't understand fully what it means Maybe it's because we don't really want to commit to this And so my, my message today is specifically for you if you are not a christian yet This is for you Or if you're if you're a new believer if you've been a christian for one to four years This message is intended for you and the rest of you are are welcome to listen The world desperately needs a savior. In 2006, the film Superman Returns, the Man of Steel disappears from the earth without any warning. He is not heard of in five years. And in that time, Lois Lane, Superman's love interest, begins to hate him for disappearing. Her hatred leads her to to doubt, and and soon she writes an article entitled Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. Superman. And she learns to live life without hope. To her surprise, Superman returns, hence the title of the film. Spoilers, sorry. And in an attempt to win her back, Superman takes her high above the city of Metropolis. And, and as he's flying through the sky, uh, you know, girlfriend in tow, you know, he sees the city below and the night air is hitting them in the face and, and he just kind of stops right above the Daily Planet. And and Lois, and Lois and Superman are kind of looking out all over the city, and, and Superman stops, he says, "Lois, l- listen really close. What do, you, what do you hear?" And she says, I, "I can't hear anything." And Superman says, "I can hear everything." And he pauses, looks out at the city, and looks back at Lois and says, "You know, you wrote once in an article that the world doesn't need a savior." But every day, I hear people crying out desperately for one. The world is in desperate need of a Savior. And church, we know exactly who that Savior is, do we not? It's Jesus Christ who came to save the whole entire world. Salvation is found only in Him. And that's what you've spent the last month looking at. You've gone through the process. You, You believe in Jesus. You repent in your heart. You confess with your mouth, and you are baptized. You are immersed into the waters of death with Christ. Boom, salvation. But that's not even close to the end of your journey. No, no, no. That's just the beginning. I want you to hear these next words very carefully as they will determine how much you pay attention to the rest of my sermon. When you become a Christian, your life is no longer your own. When you become a Christian, your life is no longer your own. It belongs to Jesus. See, Jesus, when you accept Jesus into your life, he takes on two different roles. The role of a savior by whom all men will be saved, but Jesus also plays the role of a king to whom all men are subject. When you are baptized, you become a slave to Jesus Christ. The first blank on your, what does Sean call it, handy dandy outline The first blank on your outline says, you cannot have Jesus as your savior without accepting him as your Lord. I think that's something that the church fails to to teach. Now the church does a great job of presenting Jesus as, as our savior. But man, do we fall short in this area of proclaiming Christ as king. I mean, sure, we, we call him Lord in song and in scripture and when we pray. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing altogether to live it. And I, I contend even that that all Christian churches should require pre- and post-baptism classes, but maybe that's just because I'm big on Christian education. We can never have enough education in the church. Okay, so let's let's say someone wants to get baptized. Before you dunk them, put them through a class called Introduction to Christ. Okay, not not a class where you learn church doctrine and church law and the church Bible. Forget that. Walk someone through the Gospels. Introduce them to who Jesus is. Reveal Christ's identity to them. And then after you baptize them, yay, we baptize them. It's a celebration in heaven and earth, potlucks galore, good times. Then they go to another class. Now this class has to have a really interesting name because it's going to determine how you spend the rest of your Christian life. So, so I propose maybe, maybe uh, the name should be Learning to Die. Or how about Submission to Christ? Or what about, I became a Christian and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, you know, just something interesting to get people thinking. Because I'll tell you what, if the church doesn't educate people on who Jesus is, then we will never know what we're supposed to do in life. And honestly, if we don't educate Christians on who Jesus is, and let me just reiterate, he's king, then we can just do whatever we want. Jesus is my savior, and now I'm free in Christ, and I can do whatever I want. No, that's bad theology. If you disagree with me, I'll be back there, and you can talk to me later. That's ridiculous. When Jesus is the king, he commands us, and he commands us to do something, and we don't do it, well, we end up looking pretty weird. And I want to illustrate this by showing you a clip from Buck Private, starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Face, right, face, forward, march. Halt! 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 Where are you going? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? Well, find out. Now get with it. What time? Is it? None of your business. Okay. Come out. Face, forward, march. Hi, fellas. Halt! Halt! You guys are going the wrong way. Will you get in line here? I don't know. You got me in this mess, brother. Get the out of this. Right, face, Forward, march, home. Right face. Forward, march. Home. Right face. Forward, march. (laughs) Home. Get a load of this. Left face. Ah, gently. Right face. Right face. (laughs) Good run. Boy, what a time we have with them three. Uh. You can never have enough Evan Costello in your day. Some Christians act like this. I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want. And and, then, and and even you heard Lou Costello on the show say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where I'm going. Church, teach people to follow Jesus. I can't stress that enough. Otherwise new Christians will just dance around his commandments and they will dance around his identity as Christ They'll never make the jump from savior to king And let me tell you something once you go down in the baptismal waters You're dead You're done But when you come out of the baptismal waters It is no longer you that lives but Christ who lives in you Dallas Willard once said, teach people who they are, and you will never have to teach them what to do. If we truly understood the idea of Jesus as king, then we wouldn't have books like Purpose Driven Life. When I understand that Jesus is king, I understand that I am supposed to do what he says. I don't need a book to tell me, although I think it was a pretty good book. So let me just give you a brief overview of who Jesus is and what we, and who we are, just, just as a rough sketch. All right. Jesus Christ is Lord and God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lion of Judah. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, self-sustaining, and necessary for our existence. Am I getting too philosophical here? He is our eternal master. You and I, we're just created beings. We're we're fallen beings. We're finite beings who are condemned to hell because of sin in our lives. But because of who Jesus is, Christ sacrificed himself on a cross. He paid the price for our sins with his own blood, dying a shameful death so that God would wipe away the sin from our lives. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are also accepting him as your King. That is who Christ is, and that is who we are. We are saved and sanctified. Alright, that was my introduction. So now let's move on to the other three points you have in your bulletin. I think I've got like ten minutes to cover that. Who knows? We'll see what's going on. King Jesus is going to ask his followers to do a lot of things. You new Christians. You fence sitters. But this morning I want to focus on three commands that, that I think that the church doesn't really fully explain to new believers. I think this is something that that new believers need to hear, and I think this is something that veteran Christians need to, to, to take to heart and to put into action. So the first blank is, Jesus commands us to love. That's not that hard, all right? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. Love love your neighbor as yourselves. All the law and prophets, and that means like all the Old Testament, hangs on these two commandments. This love that we're talking about is, is an unconditional love. It is a love that God shows us. It's grace. There's a powerful moment in the movie Man of Steel, and for those of you counting, this is my second Superman reference, where Pa Kent, played by Kevin Costner you know, brings his son Clark down into the cellar of their barn, and he shows him the ship that he arrived in. See, Clark has been manifesting powers. He's flying, he's got super strength, he has x-ray vision, he has, you know, microscopic vision, all these things. And so he starts to wonder, something ain't right. I would too. And so Pa Kent takes Clark down to the cellar, and, and he, he's explaining to him, son, he says, you, you are not even from this planet. You have a whole other life and a whole other family somewhere else. We're not your parents. And Clark can't even, can't even take this in. And he just breaks down and, and cries. And, and he looks up at his father and he, and he says, Can't I just keep pretending I'm your son? And without even hesitating, Pa Kent grabs him and, and just pulls him in. And, and he says, You are my son. You are my son. What he's trying to say to Clark is, you might not have my blood, but you have my heart. That is unconditional love. This unconditional love is patient. It it is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. But here's the kicker, church. <clears throat> when Jesus commands us to love others, he's also talking about our enemies. Ugh. That's uncomfortable. He's talking about loving our enemies, loving the people who just annoy the bejeebers out of you. Like people who talk in the movie, you have to give them a double dose of love. Man. He he talks about this this all throughout scripture, but, but it begins in the book of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You see, God chose to love us. There's nothing we did to deserve this or earn this. And so likewise, under the kingship of Jesus, we are commanded to love as God loved. So that means loving your coworkers, you know, loving your friends, loving your classmates. But that also means loving the people who have hurt you, who have cheated you who you would rather never ever see again in your entire life. Because you have to remember, we were once enemies of God. God's wrath was once upon us. And yet he has forgiven us. Ought we not do the same? When you are in service to the king, you do not get to choose who you love. The second blank on your outline says that Jesus commands us to obey. The book of 1 John chapter 2, the first six verses says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He continues on we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands the man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him this is how we know we are in Christ whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did Jesus commands us to obey there's there's a legend a story of Alexander the Great, who, with just a few hundred troops, came upon this massive fortified city. It had a huge wall around it. There was no way to get in. Alexander rolls up to the city, and he calls out for the king. And the king comes to the top of the wall, and Alexander says, I need you to surrender your city to me. And the king just starts laughing at him. He says, listen, I don't know who you think you are, but this city is a fortress. And even if you could somehow get past this wall, I have chariots and horses and spears and swords and bows and arrows and ninjas, maybe not ninjas. There's, and these are in the thousands. Why should I submit to you? Alexander turns around, he sees that there's a cliff a few few ways away. He turns to his troop and he says, march. And the king and all the people watched in horror as Alexander's troops willingly walked off the side of the cliff. The king surrendered that day. Why why would the king do this? He had troops and chariots and, and all these things. It's because he knew that Alexander's troops were more obedient than his own. A subject does not get to tell the king what to do. The king tells the subject what to do, and the subject says, yes, sir, and does it. Fortunately for us, our king does have our best interest in mind. If he commands us to do something, it's a good thing. You know, if Jesus were here and he asked you, he said, you know, hey, jump. You ask how high on the way up. All right. That's the kind of obedience Jesus wants from you. All right. John 2:17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Hmm. Now, I don't just want to call this blind obedience. This isn't mindless obedience we're talking about. You're not a robot, unless you're a Terminator. But you're not a robot. You are a living, breathing, walking, talking person made in God's image. And he loves you. And so he He doesn't want you to just blindly obey, but rather I, I would say that he wants you to have faith in what he asks us to do. Faith is saying, God, I don't understand why you're telling me to do this. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me. But because you're my king, because I'm your subject, because there is a love between us, I will do what you ask me to do. I heard a professor asked this question in class. And it just kind of silenced the room. We really didn't know what to do. He asked us, what is it about your faith, what is it about your faith that allows you to so easily disobey God? What is it about your faith that so easily allows you to disobey God? We need to understand that When we are living in the service of the king, we do not get to choose which commands to obey. He expects full obedience from us. The final blank on your outline says, Jesus commands us to die. Now, wait a minute, Stephen. Hold on here. Let's not get crazy. Die is such a strong word. You know... Jesus, does Jesus really want us to die? Yes. Yes, he does. Um, And I I don't just mean dying to your sins. But let's read that passage to maybe ease your mind just a little bit. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So yeah, 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 we we die to sin, absolutely. But I contend that's not exactly everything that jesus wants from us when he commands us to die consider the words of luke chapter 9 verses 23 through 26 he says if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to lose his life will save it but whoever loses his life For me, will find it. If anyone is ashamed of me, uh, he says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous pastor and author. And during the Nazi campaign, he vehemently opposed Hitler and his quest. Bonhoeffer was arrested in 1943, and he spent the next two years in prison. And while he was in captivity, Bonhoeffer continued to to write and to preach and to teach and and, and to do what he could to stop the Nazi regime. But eventually he was killed. Before he died, Bonhoeffer was able to write a, a book or maybe it was a series of sermons called Discipleship. And in this book, in these writings, he reflects back on his time as a Christian in prison, and he says, when Christ bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Church, the image of a person carrying a cross is not some dainty you know, illustration, you know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to read my Bible. No. Oh yeah, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm not going to yell at that guy that makes me angry. No, that, no, that's, that's not what that's saying. The image of a person carrying a cross means that they are condemned to die physically. Try to think of it this way. The image of a person carrying a cross is like someone in an orange jumpsuit handcuffed with two guards next to him being led to the electric chair. That's what picking up your cross and following Jesus means. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be ready to die. We don't hear too many sermons on that. But that's fine. That's okay. Honestly, if you're a Christian, death should have no sway or fear or anything over you. Because the difference between Alexander's troops dying and Christ's servants dying is that when we die, we get to be with him forever. We see in the book of Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, that those who are killed for their faith are standing in the very presence of God. That doesn't sound terrible at all. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's worth a little bit of suffering on our part. How'd you get here? Oh, I was killed for my faith. Cool, welcome to heaven. Here's a white robe. When we are living in the service of the king, our lives are forfeit to his will. But they're never forfeit without reward. They're never forfeit without reward. Church, these are these are just a few of the commands that Christ gives us in scripture. And these are things that we need to be teaching to younger Christians. The duty of the church is to preach and teach the gospel and to build one another up. And and honestly, it starts here with you all. How can we be expected to share the gospel when we can't even talk about it amongst ourselves? How can we be expected to share our faith when no one steps up and, and says, I will teach you how to do these things? We can't shirk this responsibility, people. But I hope that the sermon has in some, in some way challenged you to think about committing or recommitting your life to Christ. And I hope that, that at the end of, of this sermon, or maybe next week's sermon, that you will eventually give your life over to Jesus. That you will begin to live a life of service to your King. As I close, I want to offer three challenges today. Challenge number one is for those of you who are on the fence, think carefully about your relationship with Christ. The Christian life isn't always fun. It isn't always a cakewalk, but 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 it's worth it. As someone who's been a Christian for for over five, six, seven, eight years, I don't know. It's been a while. I can tell you that it is not without heartbreak. But it is not without victories either. And it is worth it. And it will be worth it at the end of, of my life when, when, when this body dies and I will stand before God and he will look upon me and smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a box of comics for you. I don't know what he'll say, but I mean, maybe that'll be it. It's worth it. Give your life to Jesus. I have a challenge for, for you new believers. If you've been a Christian for one to four years, man, dig deep, man. Get, read a book. Read a book on Christian theology. Read Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Read something that will take your life from Jesus is my savior to, whoa, Jesus is my king. Get together with groups of people and study and pray together. Go out and actually, like, serve people and open your mouth and tell people about the gospel. Take your faith to the next level, all right? Uh, the habits that you begin now will grow and mature and they will nurture, they will nurture you as long as you keep, keep with them, you know? Um, we don't expect a child, you know, to just walk on their own like someone has to teach them. And so you older Christians who have been, like, doing this for a while, step up and teach people to walk with Jesus. Do that. My final challenge is for the church as a whole. New Christians, kind of new Christians, veteran Christians, all kinds of Christians. Set the standard. Set the standard for Griffith, Indiana. Show younger Christians what it means to live a life in service to the king. Show non-believers what it looks like to live a life in service to the king. Walk in faith. Spread the gospel and love God's creation. Um, I want to, before I pray, I want to have an invitation. If you have never accepted Jesus as your savior and your king, this is the time for you to do that. If you have been praying and you feel God leading you to rededicate your life, this is your time. If you feel like God and the Holy Spirit have been convicting you and you need to go into full-time Christian ministry or you feel like you need to start a ministry or something, this is your time to come forward. If you think Christianity is dumb and you have no issues telling me so, come talk to me afterwards and I would love to share my faith with you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Take advantage of this time to begin living a life in service to the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be here today and to gather as a a body of believers under the banner of love and under the banner of truth. God, I pray for those who are Ready to make decisions god. I pray holy spirit that you would come upon them in power And I pray in the name of jesus by the blood of jesus by the power of jesus that you would begin to work miracles in their lives And god for those of us who've been christians for a while god help us to step up our game Help us to 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 begin to trust you to begin to walk in faith begin to be obedient to you as our king God we love you but don't just take our word for it See it in our actions.